0: And Q. But what
1: if there is no tomorrow?
0: There wasn't one today. Fascinating. Get away from her, you bitch! I'm Batman. Do or do not. There is
2: no tomorrow. Welcome to episode 137 of the Nerdfest podcast. This week's nerds are.
3: John Farthing, Ian McLaughlin, Peter Johnson, Andy Chandler,
2: and I'm Hazel Chandler. Today's show is a recommendations special, so we are reviewing reality. We are reviewing reality.
3: (laughs) It's going to be a long episode. (laughs) Oh, it's cracked up for me, is it?
2: (laughs) No, it's not. Uh, We're also reviewing eight mountains. Which
3: eight mountains?
4: Kilimanjaro, (laughs) Everest, K2,
1: and five others. Is the review going to be very tall, five stars?
2: (laughs) The Patient... Quentin Tarantino's book, Cinema Speculation, and a bit of a secret surprise from Ian. Mm.
3: That's always worrying.
2: <laughs> so let's start the show.
4: So, what's everybody been up to? Up to. Up to. Hey, up to.
0: Being a massive Alien fan, I've been revisiting all of the movies, putting the original scripts beside them to see the differences between the concept script and the actual final shooting script, which I've been finding uh, very enjoyable.
1: That's what Mm -hmm. I've been doing. Which of them could have been better?
0: Anything after Aliens Mm. could have been like. See, Alien 3 was originally set on a wooden world, with monks all living on this wooden planet. That would have been amazing, but they didn't do that. Alien 4 or Alien what's it called resurrection yeah exactly <laughs> could have been um better uh, yeah done with a different director mm-hmm. would have been a better thing the original script is actually not too bad
3: i actually like jean pierre Jeunet. kids' french movies are great it just clashed
0: with the, the concept and then i've never been a fan of this sort of avp thing i ramming two mm-hmm. movies together but then i'll give it a chance because the, the comics have been very successful so i've been watching those again mm-hmm. i actually think the first one's not bad actually mm-hmm.
1: It's fun. It's stupid, with, yeah, but it's fun. It, yeah.
0: yeah, the second one's just awful. It is. That's when I've been revisiting the Requiem, which is just everything's wrong about it.
4: So are you going to go on to the newer ones In the Prometheus and Alien? Covent yes, Hunt. I'm going to do
0: all of those. Again. Oh, are you tired of life, Ian? <laughs> Oh No, I'm. I great. am loyal to the franchise, and I'm loyal to the world, as you know. You. <laughs> really? What?
2: You're loyal to the world. I'm
0: loyal to the world of Alien. Oh, not this world. I hate this world. <laughs> awful. <laughs> It's just mm-hmm. nice to sort of revisit and pull the bits out and you know what makes sense. Mm-hmm. I even wrote a, a short story finding out that the engineers didn't really engineer the aliens. They discovered the aliens' home planet mm-hmm. and stole the stuff from there. Mm-hmm. In my script, slowly marines go to the home planet and deal see all the Gigerish nightmare. Have
4: mm-hmm. you um, sent this to anybody? No. You, maybe you should do. No. <laughs> I mean it can't be worse than it BTS. can be. You <laughs> see my writing is terrible. Use a computer then, so people can read it. Chat GPT. Yeah, get mm-hmm. AI to write Alien
0: versus... Alien versus Wallace and Gromit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now that's a movie I'd Thank see. <laughs> what have you been up to? Me? Yes.
2: I've been in Baltimore.
0: Ooh. Ooh. Mm. And why are you in Baltimore?
2: To experience an authentic American cookout.
0: Mm. You went all the way to Baltimore?
2: Yeah. And experienced a cookout and not a barbecue. Apparently they're different. they
0: different. Mm-hmm. I went to a hoga, I think it's called a hoga or a hogie, which is a New Zealand way of burying food. But massive pit, you you charcoal things, you know, you just like build a fire, you wrap your meat in towels and things, then that, and then it's buried and then twelve hours later you dig it up and eat it and it was amazing. <laughs>
4: Hmm. Hmm. this is kind of the sort of thing my dog does with <laughs> you know she, she'll bury it in the back garden and a week later dig it up and eat it but it doesn't look particularly appetising when she does so
3: I'm not sure you should let Ripley play with fire really no
4: <laughs> <laughs> me and Peter went to see Kiss at uh, oh, the yes. uh, Newcastle Arena that was an experience
3: never seen so many fireworks indoors
4: there lots of flames and confetti and miming I think was the have
3: we had that confirmed have we whether it's miming
4: <sighs> I, I don't know the fact you are good. Gonna... Hello, Newcastle. Welcome. I'm gonna sing you a song.
3: Hello, I can <laughs> sing now. Suddenly, no, it's kind of weirder than that. It's <laughs> like every line he said was. Yeah, <laughs> 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 sort of thing. It was just ridiculous. You're a Velociraptor, <laughs> pretty much.
4: <laughs> but it was, it was. I mean, it was never a massive kiss fan.
2: Maybe you're not doing it. Properly. I really mean,
4: liked Crazy Crazy Nights, which they didn't do. Mm. Uh, the only
1: good. kiss song I like is God gave rock and roll to you, and I only like it because of Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. And they didn't write it.
3: No, it's a cover, isn't it? Yeah, it was their version. Who's mm. it done by? Argent, originally Argent. in about
2: 1973. John and I participated in
3: a, uh, Agatha. <laughs> in an
2: Agatha Christie-style noir murder thriller last night.
4: Mm. Yes, that was exciting. Looks we got like... to get our improv on, for
3: want of a yeah. better term.
2: Decapitated Casey, which is always a bonus. Always a bonus.
3: <laughs> he loves it when you're decapitated <laughs> <laughs> Gave me a boner. <laughs> Likes a bit ahead mm-hmm.
4: And four of us went to see Daniel Kitson as well, so we've had a very busy couple of weeks. Yeah, we uh, yeah Daniel Kitson,
1: doing a know, work in progress comedy show? It was Andy's first, and Hazel's, I
4: think. You've never seen him I've before, never seen have him you? Before, no.
1: No. I had never heard of him before, though. Mm. So mm. I, I found out who Daniel Kitson is. Yeah. It's good. Mm-hmm. It'll be even better when he's finished it. Yeah, it was very much a, a work in progress.
0: Talking of um, names you may not have heard of, do you know of um, Francis Bourgeois? I know the name. Mm. No, I'm absolutely addicted to this young man. He's about what about 27, 20 years old. He's a train spotter who is so <laughs> obsessed with trains. It's just, it's heartbreakingly endearing, and he gets so excited. Little short videos of Francis Bourgeois going around waiting for you know, a, a, an X7452 from Exeter, and then it passes him, and he literally has an orgasm. <laughs> <laughs> but he's really sweet, and he's got this really unbelievably sweet girlfriend as well. And they just like get so excited when the trains pass by, and like, can you try cheer. and
2: recreate? the impression of it of a train arriving so choo choo it's coming but in
0: it, the thing is it's, it's on video right and he's got, he's got like, a lot of head cam so his face looks like really extended like an owl because it's all really mm. weird and he looks so excited so yeah the train goes and he goes and his girlfriend goes
4: how long did you watch this for?
0: About it only takes me five minutes John these days and
4: I just wondered how much weed you smoked beforehand before you sat staring it is so
0: sweet it is unbelievably sweet Francis Bourgeois is hilarious the ultimate train spotter. Wow!
2: Should we do some recommendations?
0: Yes, please.
4: I'm going to recommend specific types of train. The best train to do an
1: orgasm. How many different types of train are there, John? There's a there's an electric train. There's a chuff chuff a choo choo.
2: All I can think about now is Thomas a Tank Engine giving me an orgasm. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just, what? <laughs> just look <laughs> just no, like his like, face about.
2: with the people's going round and round
3: and round. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> are, we, are, you, are you lying on the tracks? <laughs>
3: <laughs> the
4: train's oh, going
0: into the tunnel. Okay. <laughs>
4: <laughs> that's why they call me the fat controller. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we
2: did,
3: no, you misheard, John.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we did monologuing inner thoughts last night. I need to shut that door. <laughs>
1: here comes Thomas
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Look, at, look at his Thomas eyes go I should not be more interested <clears throat> in James's big red engine
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh my Should we do some recommendations
4: <laughs> yeah. yeah
1: Thomas the wank engine <laughs> 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 Forty-four years old, I am. Yeah.
2: And it was me that started that as well. <laughs>
1: <So> <laughs> whose recommendation will segue best from that?
0: Not mine. <laughs> Not mine. mine.
1: I'm happy to go first though, if you want to, to get it out of the way. Yeah, go for
0: it. So, my recommendation for you is going to be uh, it's a, a documentary, stroke actual episode, and it is the Black Adder, the lost pilot. So, forty-one years ago, last week. The very first pilot of the classic British sitcom Blackadder was made, but never broadcast. Mm. And it was lost for years. And it was recently found, and the tapes were so bad, they didn't think they could uh, do anything with it. But using AI and all that clever stuff, they've managed to reinvigorate the thing to be able to see it for the first time. It's a lovely uh, hour and a half long program where we get... Sir Tony Robinson talking to all of the early cast about how excited they are to see this never-seen-before-pilot episode. If you're a fan of Blackadder, uh, tune in. If you're not, you're wrong. Uh, (laughs) The first series of Blackadder was completely different, certainly as Blackadder's character, Edmund's character is. I almost regard the whole series as being the pilot for the rest of it.
3: Yeah, Mm
4: -hmm. It kind of switched around, isn't it? So Blackadder's a bit stupider and is Baldrick more
0: intelligent? Yeah, yeah, kind of. So so that first series where he's an absolute dimwit and it's, it's kind of very Mr. Bean kind of stuff, you expected that to be there in the pilot, but no, actually the pilot is much like Blackadder 2. Mm. Edmund's character is pretty much identical. And it was the writers and the directors and the producers' idea to go, oh, we need to dumb this down a bit. Because the um, controller of, was it BBC then? On BBC, didn't it? Yeah. Said that there is no evidence of a historical drama comedy ever working. He was really against the idea. Right. They just don't work. They don't work. Up oh, Pompeii. Good point. Yeah, so I've been successful. That was fairly, that was wasn't successful? it? When it ran they did? about four series. I, I meant not, not misogynist. <laughs> 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 Easy mistake to make. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's an amazing thing to watch because you do, you, you, you kind of see the real core of Edmund's character in there and how they, they, they threw it away and it didn't work for them and then they brought Ben Elton in went, that first thing that you did was the thing that's mm. funny. Oh, Let's right. bring so it back. It. Oh, yeah.
4: okay. So they brought Benilton in for the second service? Yes. yes.
0: Yeah, they brought him back in because it just wasn't... It's just Richard Curtis, the first one. They, they felt they had something, but it just wasn't right, and they'd changed their minds. And, and so Benilton went, no, you had it right in the first place, guys. <laughs> Let's go back to this. But it's a fascinating in, insight into how uh, things are made and how decisions, when you're panicking and send you in the wrong way, Although I think there's someone sitting next to me who yeah. thinks that Blackadder 1 is better than 2 and 3. It's my favourite series. Is it? Why?
4: I, I kind of like the slightly darker nature of it. There's a, a brilliant episode with um, Peter Cook in it, which is m- one of my favourite episodes. To be honest, it's been a long time since I've seen it and I'm not a massive Blackadder fan of it. I'm not a big fan of the 2, 3 and 4.
1: And you are alone on this planet. Yes, you are. I've
2: um... not seen the first Blackadder, but I've seen... Mm-hmm series two, three and four, many, many, many times, but I've never watched the first one because I've been told it's completely different characters and I was afraid of not being able to get fully into it knowing that those aren't the characters that I fell in love with for the other series. Mm-hmm. I think the series four of Blackadder is
4: a perfect television. Mm.
2: Oh, thank you, darling.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Am I right? So this is going off a tangent a bit. I always in my head thought that Blackadder got killed at the end of every series. But is there one where he doesn't? Maybe I know. Obviously, at the end of the first one, he does, and then at the end of four, he does. Not that
1: at the end of three, though. No. He assumes the identity of Prince George. Yeah, that's but great. he's still alive and after the duel. After the duel, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So officially, Edmund Blackadder is dead, but he's actually alive. Yeah. How did he die at the end of two? He was killed by Hugh Laurie, who was in disguise.
3: Oh, was it inconvenient? It was rather <laughs> inconvenient. <laughs>
0: okay. So yeah, so it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating watch, and and like you say, it's it's not um, so Tony Robinson playing Baldrick, It's Philip Fox, who apparently was known for Midsummer Murders and Waking the Dead. He basically replaced Tony Robinson after he dropped out because he'd been offered a, a years long contract at the National Theatre. Uh. So he does the pilot, but then when he got commissioned, Tony went, "I'll have that job back. Thank you very much." <laughs> and Then took the role back again.
1: Midsummer Murders and Waking the Dead are they TV shows or are They're they just TV, leisure activities? TV. But <laughs> it
0: depends what you fancy doing, really So you've got a different Baldric. The Queen is different So where is it set? Like what time period? Uh, sort of around the Spanish Civil War kind of time uh, the, the Queen, which is Queen Gertrude, is played by Elspeth Grey, but still has the very, exactly the same kind of childish character we know very well from the later queens Played by Miranda, Miranda Richardson Richardson, yes, Hasn't got the same voice, but the same sort of childishness and the power of people of life and death We've also got a uh, Peter Cook turns up, yeah, and Brian Blessed. They kind of turn up very briefly in doing things. Brian Blessed turned up in the series as well, didn't he? Uh... Yeah. And the the only other uh, one you'll me- recognise from the pilot is Tim McInnery. All right, he plays exactly the same character. <laughs> <laughs> it's completely formed and beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was broadcast uh, as part of UK Gold's 40th anniversary of uh, Blackadder. And it's available on their platform and other platforms. But if you're a fan of it, I really highly recommend you watch it. It's a fascinating insight into how a household name became household.
4: So do you get to see the full pilot episode? Yes. So basically, it's
0: it's it's about a sort of 45-minute long documentary. Uh, John Lloyd, the producer, has even forgotten they'd made it. Really? (laughs) You tell me, I don't remember making this.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Is uh, Flash Heart in it?
0: Sadly, not. Worf. 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 <laughs> but there's all this other, and also in the in the pilot, the first time you hear the words, "I have a cunning plan." Ooh. Mm. Total recommendation. Please watch it if you're if you're a um, a fan of Blackadder. It was amazing. That
3: sounds wonderful. Thank you so much. I only met T- Tony Robinson once, standing next to him in the gents' loo in the comedy store.
2: Right, <laughs> I
3: met uh, John Lloyd very briefly
4: in Edinburgh flyer in our show he and was, he was actually very nice and stopped and talked to people as he, and actually took flyers and chatted to people and I, I recognised him and then the guy next to me was advertising his show it sounded awful but it was like oh well it's a, a cross between Black Adder and something else was all over the flyers and um um, He's going, Oh, yeah, it's like Black Adder. So if you like Black Adder, you'll love it. Um, and the guy's going, Oh, I'm a, I'm a producer, actually. And the guy's, Oh, what do you make? He's like, I made Black Adder. <laughs> 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 okay. <laughs>
2: so how many cunning plans out I'll of.
0: I'll go ten? for turnips, if you don't mind. I'll go, mm-hmm. I will go for nine and a half turnips out of ten turnips, just for the pure nostalgia, mm-hmm. but also the fascinating history of. Mm-hmm. I'm actually, despite not being a Blackadder fan,
4: I'm going to watch this because I'm kind of really interested in how things are put together and changed, mm. and I think I, I yeah. think that will quite be quite interesting.
3: Yeah, sounds great. Mm. Really good.
4: Andy's looking at his phone, which means he's either getting ready to go next or he's being distracted
0: by scores, cricket
1: scores. Kittens in the sock. No, I'm just uh, making sure that we have access to the Blackadder Pilot because I want to watch that as soon as we get home. It will be on UK, UK TV. TV. app.
4: So you've got smart TV of any description that will be on there.
1: Splendid.
2: Shall I go next?
1: Yes, please.
2: I'd like to recommend Reality, which is a <laughs> new film. <laughs> <Right there>.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, just, I feel like I'm going to like this.
2: <laughs> it's a new film about a true pivotal moment in the life of Reality Winner. Oh. And that is her name. She's called Reality Lee Winner. What a name. No, oh, great. is
3: this the, the document?
2: Yes, it is. So, Reality is 25 years old and works for a military contractor for the American government. Or at least she did. Until her house was raided by the FBI and she was arrested for the unauthorised release of government information to the media. So if you haven't heard this story, it is all true, and it took place in 2017. The information in question was intelligence that the Russians interfered and hacked the 2016 presidential election, which, spoiler alert, they did. The film Reality isn't a documentary. They hired an actor, Sydney Sweeney, to play Reality, but the majority of the script is word for word the transcript of the voice recorder that was used when the FBI agents were interrogating her at her home. In 2019, Tina Satter turned the interrogation transcript into a play. It's called Is This a Room? Tina Satter went on to produce this film, and this is her directorial debut. In the film adaptation, we start with reality at her desk, whilst Fox News is in the background, and the news that day just so happens to be the FBI director. James Comey has just been fired by Trump. We then watch her pack up, leave and return home to her house in Augusta, Georgia, only to find that there are several FBI agents waiting for her. The main thing that reality is concerned about, and to a certain extent so are the FBI agents, are her pets. She has a very good dog and she has a cat as well. So there's a lot of back and forth discussion about what will be best for both of them and how's the cat going to react when the agents start raiding her bedroom. The full interrogation starts in a spare bedroom that is almost completely empty. So they're standing rather than sitting, which gives the film a kind of a different vibe from traditional interrogation scenes that you might be thinking of. We learn more about reality's life and work. So she's a Farsi, Dari and Pashto translator with top security clearance. It's not until quite a way into the film where the FBI agents, who, by the way, have their own distinctive personalities reveal that they are questioning her about leaked documents to a certain media publication. It's very clever in that there's a really interesting way that they remove redacted information from the film, and then at certain points they pull up the transcript to confirm that yes, the FBI agents really did say that. It also cuts to the transcript when characters make false starts or awkward bumbling phrases, which people do in reality, without a Hollywood script doctor. During the course of the interrogation, the redactions start to get removed. Another really interesting way of doing it. It's such a compelling film. Uh, If you're interested in FBI interrogation techniques, how they get people to talk, the whole whistleblowing arguments, or even if you're just interested in the subject matter of government secrets and how they're handled, I'd highly recommend it. I'm trying to decide if the film takes sides, and I don't think it does. Because the script is actual evidence. It's been evidence in court. There's no narrative license that the filmmakers have taken. It gives reality, I guess, a platform to talk about what happened. And there's also media reaction to what happened as well towards the end. With certain people like Tucker Carlson calling her a traitor, denying that the Russians hacked the election, which they did. Sydney Sweeney did an amazing job portraying reality. I think it's a very, very difficult ask to portray a real person, but also do so with not much time since these events have actually happened. It's such a difficult and interesting acting role because she had to convey so much whilst doing and saying quite little, actually. There's no outbursts, there's no pleading. You know, the most concern she actually expresses is for her pets. So it's a very simple portrayal, but in an extraordinary complex situation. So yeah, I, I, I love this. I think it's one of the most compelling story acts I've ever seen on a film. Um, I'm really glad it got made as well because it's a timely reminder about the dangers that whistleblowers face and the personal consequences of telling the truth sometimes, even if that truth needs to be told. Um, I loved
3: it. You're calling a reality through all that. Is that what they call her through the film? Because yeah. I assume that's the tag she used to, to sort of spread the
0: information or something it's like a, that originally.
2: genuine birth name. Really, reality winner. Oh right, I yeah. didn't realize that. Yeah,
0: sounds brilliant. Sounds really fascinating. I love the from what you're telling me the idea of like peeling back the layers of information suppression, mm-hmm. reveal more of the story, yep. and like you're saying that it's not a big drama in, but there's no huge emotional arcs. No, it's the information, but it's done really, really truthfully and mm-hmm. in a really compelling way. Yeah. I can't wait uh, to yeah, see that.
2: Uh, it's in cinemas at the moment. I'm sure it'll. Uh, I think is it coming to Disney Plus soon? Maybe. And I, I really want to see the play as well, if I get a chance, mm. because 80% of the film takes place in this one room, and it's been endowed as a room that reality is not comfortable being in for certain reasons. And then you've got the whole interrogation thing. You've got you know the sounds of the agents going through personal possessions. It's a really tense four walls.
3: So if it's almost all the transcript of the actual uh, interrogation... That sounds like the world's easiest job for a playwright. <laughs> and oh. Yes
2: and no. The way that the lines are delivered are just so compelling and just so just oh, based on reality. Um, <laughs> it's everyone coming together. It's the director making incredibly interesting choices. It's in the post-production and on the, on the way that they, they deal with the uh, redactions. It's the actors' portrayal. Everything kind of comes together in this perfect potion of a compelling story arc.
0: And those transcripts are already made script writer's job just to refine them and Mm -hmm. make
1: it... I assume it's what you take out and what you leave
3: in. Yeah. Yeah. And also what
1: few
0: things you
3: add in in addition to what's there. I was being flip.
1: Well, I think it's a really fascinating experiment in storytelling, restricting yourself to we have to use this dialogue and then using all the other tricks at your disposal to create a mood and... and, um, drive the tension and the story in the direction you want.
2: I don't believe they left anything out because mm. that would have been a narrative decision. The film is about 80-90 minutes long, I think, mm. but I think the entire interrogation, at least the initial one when they arrived at her home, is there on full display.
0: That's an interesting thing you're saying there as well, so you know, how do you tell true stories and stay true to the true story mm-hmm. without being tempted to Dramatic things a bit because it's a movie and things like that. You know, yeah. how, what's the line that you cross?
2: Like at, at the end, they show various news clips on how that story was reported. Mm. With you got the Republican right calling her a traitor, and and there are clips of her saying that she, um, oh, I need to find the actual quote, but there are clips of her saying that she hates America, and that's used against her so much. Mm. Well, actually, you know, the, the full context behind it is that. She wanted people to know this information about what had happened to one of the most stalwart things in our society, which is being able to democratically vote and do so on your own, uh, on your own accord. Um, she wanted people to know that because, you know, she wants, she genuinely loves the country, but they use that against her. It's just, yeah, it, it's showing um, the harsh, as I said, the harsh truth of telling the truth but then he yeah i don't know do you want me to go into spoilers about what happened to her afterwards
4: i imagine she wins some sort of reality contest <laughs>
0: <laughs> i presume probably that her life has been pretty much ruined and uh, doesn't really get much of a voice anymore because she's been shut off by the government
2: like i say she was arrested um she was denied multiple bails and she uh went to prison She was sentenced to five years, I think, and she was released in 2021 under house arrest. And that is going to be ongoing until 2024. And her story is being increasingly used as we need to talk about this stuff. We can't um, let something like our elections be compromised in such a way and not talk about it and brush it under the carpet.
0: Fascinating, isn't it? You get the Russian government interfering with the democratic uh, American elections, and then Trump then blames Capitol Hill, the
1: mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: things going wrong, uh, incites a riot. Yeah, basically just playing straight into the hands of, uh, of the Russian government. Yeah, of, yeah. Of, of yeah, frightening, isn't it?
2: And this is why I'm glad that we have a film called Reality to talk about someone who came across this information and decided that the people needed to hear about it and um, you know from from this is just my personal point of view but she i think she did something incredibly brave but mm. also didn't think it through
3: do we know what the cia were planning to do with the information is it that she revealed the thing while they're in the middle of still investigating trying to do something about it or was it something they were hushing up because they didn't want to
1: discredit the democratic process
2: um i'm guessing the latter i don't know for sure hmm.
1: so how many unsettlingly friendly fbi agents out of 10 would yes you
2: <laughs> I say they have their own personalities and they're like, oh, (laughs) let's go for nine. Pete, do you want to go
3: next? I have something with a tangential link to what we're just talking about. And it's actually written and showrun by someone who was in the CIA for a couple of years. Mm. It's called The Patient. And it's a 10 episode psychological thriller on Disney Plus starring Steve Carell as a psychiatrist who's abducted by one of his patients who then confesses to being a serial killer struggling with his impulses to kill again. I've seen around half the episode so far, and the majority of it's focused on the psychiatrist's point of view and what limited information he has as he tries to both stay alive and prevent his patient from killing again, with only limited cutaways to events elsewhere. I don't want to give any spoilers, so I can't really discuss the plot beyond that, but it's really tense and you really do get absorbed in the reality of a situation. The fact that the killer is both unpredictable and irrational, and in complete control of the situation, is pretty terrifying. The episodes are quite short, at half an hour, and each episode ends on a reveal, which is also a cliffhanger, some of them pretty shocking. It's written and show run by Joe Weisberg, best known for doing the same for The Americans, a series about two Russian sleeper agents trying to live a normal life in America, which I watched and enjoyed for a few seasons, till it got a little samey. This is a limited run series, so I expect it'll reach a satisfying conclusion. The Killers, played by Dom Hall Gleeson, who's the son of actor Brendan Gleeson, also played Bill Weasley in the Harry Potter movies, and General Hux in the last Star Wars trilogy. It took me some time to place him as his usual characteristic ginger hairs in a black bob here. Steve Carroll's pretty good at The Therapist. I'm not a huge fan of his comedies, as I find The Office a bit cringy. and he often plays rather unlikable characters. (gasps) (laughs) But I do enjoy his straight work. I guess it's like Adam Sandler, who I didn't really like in most of the comedies I saw, but was fantastic in Uncut Gems. Do you have any particular actors you hate on site? I think it's Will Ferrell's kind of one for me. I just haven't seen yeah. a thing I like him in.
2: He's he great. on me.
3: Obviously Jared. Uh, Jared Leto. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Is there anything where you just wouldn't go to a film because a particular actor was in it? Or you just know you'd spend the entire time hating the, the Chris Tucker. Yeah. Okay.
2: I don't know if I have... Irrational hatred of anyone—they've just caused hatred in their actions. I think um, Jason
0: Statham. Oh, oh, oh
4: Louise is just shit a no. tear
3: downstairs.
0: Do will hate you for that? Just can't. I just just get off. Get off the screen and stay <laughs> off.
2: Yeah. I used to love Orlando Bloom. I was uh, a teenager when Lord of the Rings came mm. out and he was like my favourite. But over the years I've realised as the curtain has been unveiled, he can't act. <laughs> he's he just really a pretty can. boy. You no, know, He's yeah. in the new Gran Turismo film, which I would have gone to see and I'm like oh no, I'm going to be so distracted thinking good lord, go back <laughs> to school. <laughs> which is very mean.
0: There's a whole industry isn't there from the kind of like the sort of a wrestler, stroke, boxer, stroke, mm. martial artist, crossover into making movies, to being action heroes, and yeah. some people do it very successfully, and some it people just, just want
3: The have a natural charisma, yeah. and that's why they succeed as wrestlers, and that's why Jason
0: Statham's shit.
4: <gasps>
0: oh, he's got no charisma. He got he cannot he cannot act. I'm sure he can punch. He probably punched me mm. for saying this. Wasn't a bit of I believe he was a
4: was he a um, diver? Yeah, an Olympic
1: that, diver like, yeah, yeah, Olympic diver. Yeah, Olympic diver. Very similar to acting, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> transferable skills. When he's on screen, I get the bends. The what? The I bends. thought you made a big splash personally.
2: The bends. You get a Mercedes.
1: No, the
4: bends.
2: Yeah, you get what is
0: nitrogen is... bubbling in your blood.
2: What does this mean?
0: Because he's a diver. Yeah. Right. Like if you swim down too far, and too quick, you get a thing called the bends, which all the oxygen in your blood boils. And
4: that's what oh. you. That's what happens to you when you see instead
0: of punching a shark.
1: Okay. <laughs> which is also the title that's of quite um, Radiohead's second album. <laughs> So Peter was doing a recommendation <laughs> yeah sorry
0: <laughs> <laughs> sounds great yeah I, I
3: thought it was really good um, as I've said it's kind of hard to say much about the plot because I think that's where the joy is um, but you can find it on Disney plus over here and on Hulu in the US uh, John I think you might have seen it yeah I, 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 I've seen the whole thing and I would be
4: interested to see your thoughts about the ending okay I think that's a bad sign not necessarily a bad <laughs> sign what is interesting about it and slightly odd, there's, there's the whole Jewish thing Mm-hmm. Right, it's very much a, yeah. the the Steve Carell plays a Jewish psychiatrist, and his son becomes like an Orthodox Jew, and is very very puritanical is not the word, but then that that causes a rift between the family. So there's this whole thing about like Jewish identity and family and religion that's in there mainly through flashbacks, which kind of is interesting in itself and. I enjoyed that kind of that exploration of that, that culture and that family dynamic. But I'm not quite sure how well that intertwined
3: with the main plots of in mm. being. There hasn't been much of that that I've mm-hmm. seen so far.
0: I've seen two episodes uh-huh. and I was pleasantly surprised mm-hmm. what a good actor can actually be. I was actually mm-hmm. surprised. Not as far, obviously, as the drama yet, but I was, uh, as an opener, I thought, yeah. Mm.
3: What do you think about the episode length because it's almost like gets surprised by the ending each time because it feels like a show that would naturally be forty forty five the mm. so half hour format is a bit weird It feels a little bit like it could have been a film where it's a bit stretched out
4: mm. maybe
0: it feels like a sitcom without the studio audience but it feels oh, like, jokes as yeah. a, a bit of as a bit of yeah but has a that kind of lightness kind of Friends kind of mm, new, does new York kind thing to it. Yeah. <laughs> no know.
2: one in Friends had a New York accent.
4: Yeah. And only Joey was a serial killer. <laughs> it has a lightness to it which is really
0: nice even though it's quite <laughs> bad and depressing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If that's a thing
3: comedians can bring to this it's, stuff yeah. maybe. Yeah.
2: Oi Johnson what's your beef with <laughs> Uh <laughs> I, I,
3: I think some of it's The Office but I've seen him in a couple of films and he's always tended to play Characters that frustrated me and annoyed me. So,
2: did you say his character is a straight character here? In this like, yes, very yeah. much so, yeah. And you prefer
3: yeah. that rather and, than I, comedy? I also liked him in a movie that I know some people really don't like, which is Fox Hunter. And I thought I'm he was quite good in not that. not
4: seen that. Is that that wrestling movie? Yes,
3: yeah, where he is like a rich bloke who essentially funds the US wrestling team. But there's sexual undercurrents and all sorts of mm-hmm. other stuff going on. Uh, I, I enjoyed that film. He was good in... Um, Apple TV show, the morning uh, show. Yes. The morning show. Yeah, yeah.
4: He was very good in the morning show. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that was a very different character to the Office. That mm-hmm. was a creepy but charming character. There was nothing mm-hmm. funny about him. And again,
3: it dealt with quite complex and undesirable yeah. undercurrents in quite a good way.
2: That sounds good. I, I I think I want fancy checking this out. I'd recommend
4: mm-hmm. it. I've been
3: a bit. I picked holes in it, I think, but I
4: I really enjoyed it. I think it's a really clever premise. Mm-hmm. Goes into. M- interesting in unexpected directions, uh, particularly in the second half.
0: And like we were saying before, it's really interesting when you, when you see actors who are typically kind of quite over the top mm-hmm. suddenly dial it right down and you go, oh, this person doesn't know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> but how many How many Matzo balls out of okay. 10 would you offer? It? Uh,
3: I think eight Matzo balls.
4: Worth a try mm. then.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool.
4: I mean, the whole thing's done in five
3: hours, so it's not... Don, if the thing's good, you want it to be long...
4: No, not necessarily. Because I mean, you we, always say
3: this sort of thing, and uh, if you don't like it, it's only eighteen hours. Yeah, or...
4: not, not if you don't like. But like, I don't know. how many Netflix things and Disney shows, uh, Marvel TV shows, have we seen that would
3: be better if they were half the length? That's true. The opposite, also true. It's yeah. like they decide the length before mm-hmm. looking at the story, and that seems to be the wrong way of doing things. The, the good thing about the more recent um, trend in streaming stuff and one-off limited run series is they
1: are driven by the story mm-hmm. in, a, in a much better way. So, more of that.
2: Andy, what have you got?
1: <laughs> well, believe it or not, I've got a foreign film for you. Oh, uh, this is. time we're heading to the Italian Alps for what is so far my film of the year. It's called The Eight Mountains or Le Otto Montagne, if you prefer, which I do, uh, and may still be out in cinemas now, but if not, it will be heading to streaming services soon. My streaming services, you mean movie? Possibly. This is a story spanning many years and revolves around the evolving friendship between two characters named Pietro and Bruno, beginning with them as children. Pietro and his family are city folk from Turin who spend a summer holiday in the mountains where Pietro befriends local boy Bruno. They grow close and spend a lot of time together over a number of summers as the family returns every year. They drift apart as adolescents as Pietro struggles to find his identity, but are reacquainted as young men and slowly become best friends once more. Life twists and turns, they both grow and change, but their friendship remains an ever-present comfort to them both, though the dynamic evolves over time. Uh, So this is an epic drama that could be said to be about a great many things. Uh, Friendship, obviously, jealousy, forging an identity, father-son relationships, and following in the footsteps of your parents, to name a few. Ultimately, the most important one to me was the theme of discovering your own approach to life. Pietro is more the main character than Bruno, and he struggles to find himself as he grows up. By contrast, Bruno seems to be a fully assured, capable, grounded man. Pietro is initially taken by his confidence and skills as an outdoorsman, but grows to resent his father's own fondness for Bruno and withdraws. The film follows Pietro as he struggles to discover his own place in the world, frequently returning to visit with Bruno, who is comfortable and at peace living in the mountains. They both feel like real people, complex, interesting, and relatable. You like them instantly and throughout the story, though they're both flawed in their own ways and make mistakes. Their relationship is beautiful and nuanced with clear dynamics that slowly change over the years. The film is gorgeously shot with rich, vibrant colours and mountains and sky galore. It's wonderful to look at and showcases its spectacular landscapes with a square aspect ratio that really emphasises the vertical for a sense of openness and freedom. The actors were all fantastic, with Luca Marinelli's lead performance as the adult Pietro being the standout. So I'll stop jabbering soon, and we'll just sum up by saying this is a rich, emotional, spellbinding film with deep, complex characters and relationships, the standard of which you rarely see.
4: You say there's bright, vibrant colours, so it's not in black and white. Correct. <laughs> there doesn't appear to be any genocide at any point?
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want to go into spoilers, but um, it's not a focal point, no. No. Okay, so... And I'm, they've I'm... chopped the screen down to be square, so you, <laughs> you're losing
0: all the bits left and right.
4: Yeah. That's right. Mm. I'm, I'm no. just wondering how it can be Andy's favourite film of the year when <laughs> it lacks two of his three favourite things, but it, it is, is foreign. foreign.
1: It has Italian men rediscovering their friendship while uh, fixing up a dilapidated cabin on the side of a mountain. Do for me. <laughs> that <laughs> sounds great.
2: I went to see this as well and I admit to not being totally bewitched by the idea. It's two hours and 20 minutes long and I knew that it might be a slog if I wasn't going to enjoy it. I absolutely loved it. It is so well acted. It is a beautiful story. It's one of my favourite things to see how a relationship evolves over quite a long time. And oh, I just... Even if you are put off by the length or the fact that there aren't any Transformers in it, <laughs>
4: <laughs> it's what?
2: such a beautiful film. Did you
1: fall asleep during the bit with the Transformers <laughs> in? Um, I did not. Uh, it was a post credit scene and yeah. I um, attacked the screen. Uh, <laughs> it's fine. Everyone applauded.
2: What a bit of a bill from the time side, aren't we?
1: <laughs> I like these
0: films a lot but you have to be in the right mood. Is it, is it one of those sort of really gentle lie back and let the world soak you up and enjoy the vista and the simple relationships, simple drama?
1: Um, uh, yes, except for the word simple. Um, it's it's quite slow paced and uh, it takes its time, slow burn, And but it's constantly changing. Yeah. Uh, you start with these characters as children and there's a beautiful innocence to their friendship and then as they grow then things change as people do. And uh, they really kind of discover their own individuality and, and approach to the world mm-hmm. through learning from one another and, and such. So it's it's quite a complex relationship. That's but gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, you know really what is. I
2: would have wanted to see? Um, because I think maybe a week or two later, we went to see Thelma and Louise at the, at the cinema. That ending in Thelma and Louise is one of the best endings ever. But I would love to see those two women from their early friendship as as kids evolve how they might have uh, distanced themselves as Thelma got married to a horrible horrible human being because it's two very very strong male leads and Thelma Louise is two very strong female leads we we never see the
4: car land do we so maybe the car you did that joke last time went into the side (laughs) of a mountain oh (laughs) where there was a dilapidated cottage that they rebuilt and that's the sequel. And they
2: landed on the... Roof. I think
4: Hazel
3: was talking about a prequel. Ah. Yeah. I, I, think, I think the sequel. Thelma and Louise, the early
0: days. Mm. That didn't go well for Butch and Sundance. Mm. No. So how
1: many square ratios? <clears throat> how many eight mountains out of eight? Yeah. Of yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll give it um, ten out of eight. Ten Ooh. out of eight. <laughs> yeah. Or ten out of ten if you prefer, but ten out of eight. I think
4: there should be more messing with aspect ratios in cinema. A lot of action films would be better... If they were square, and that was one of the things with like um, Zack Snyder's Justice League, where he did that kind of, you know, the idea is that you've got these big towering figures, but because they're in widescreen, you've got those space, and they kind of end up looking smaller in mm. the frame. Just when exactly. uh,
3: didn't he shoot Avengers in tall aspect ratio so that the taller characters seem taller? Yeah.
1: A great example of that is Jurassic Park, because that's all about verticality, it's looking up at the, uh, the Brachiosaurus and being loomed down on by things that can destroy you. And if you look at Jurassic World and so on, um, they try to recreate that and fail because they've gone for the widescreen and they're, they're emphasising the wrong direction. Mm-hmm.
0: Probably my favourite play on classic formula and ratios, I think that, is The Artist. I still think it's probably one of my favourite all-time films. And the Artist is a silent movie in 4 by 3 it's in black and white, Bit of music later on, you find yourself sitting in the cinema and it's silent. Really weird. Mm. There's the odd coughs coming left and then it's a square screen and you have to work out what people are saying. I couldn't believe how effective it was. Imagine mm. being the prick who brought a big bag of popcorn into that room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but people did, but then they just stopped. Like it was mm. this this sort of just, we all yeah. get sucked into this world.
2: With a quiet place as well. and yeah. scared yeah. to mm-hmm. go in the
0: sweets. Yeah, so it was lush.
2: Right. John, show us your feet.
4: Uh, Before I go on to my main recommendation, can I very quickly recommend an album that's come out in the last couple of weeks? Versions of Us by Lanterns on the Lake, who are a local band who are amazing. And they brought a new album out, the first one for a few years. And it's my favourite album of the year so far. And it's just absolutely beautiful and hasn't really appeared on many people's radars. And it deserves much more success than it's getting. So I'm sure our listeners will... Move that dial appreciably. you <laughs> is, How uh, much are they paying you? <laughs> <laughs> and they do have a song which references the multiverse, so therefore it is nerd adjacent and appropriate to talk about. <laughs> Everybody should rush out and not
3: buy it, but at least stream it. John went to their album launch thing at a record shop locally. Uh, I turned up a bit late and then had to stand at the back of Goodzir thing. You
4: yeah, got to stand in the street outside and to the record store. Yeah. yeah, but you could you could hear them though, couldn't you? I think yes, yeah, yeah it's mainly, good. yeah. And they are touring as well, and so that will be good. I'm looking forward to seeing them at the stage in December. But my main recommendation this month... uh, This month? Actually, yeah, we do only do them once a month, don't we? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, so my monthly recommendation is a book that came out a year ago that I've only just got around to reading, and it is Quentin Tarantino's Cinema Speculation. This is basically a non-fiction book in which Quentin Tarantino talks about the films that inspired him as a child and a teenager so it's mainly films from the 70s and each chapter is based loosely around the film but then he kind of talks around other films in a similar genre or by the same director so he has a chapter on the Sylvester Stallone film Paradise Alley but he uses that to kind of talk about Stallone's career generally and the films he made leading up to and following that so it's not literally just 10 essays on 10 70s films. And then there's a chapter on like the film critics that he read growing up and that kind of thing. And it's really fascinating. Um, he obviously knows his stuff. I mean, if you know Tarantino, you know the story about him kind of growing up, going to the cinema constantly and then working in a video store where he would just watch films constantly. And so it's a really interesting mix of autobiography film criticism and then kind of journalism and interviews because he actually goes back he interviews paul schrader when talking about taxi driver and there's a few things i mean it gets a little bit simmy. He, he likes a certain type of film and there's only so many times that you can say well okay this is an exploitation film but there's some good stuff in there that's more interesting than the the more mainstream stuff and it kind of makes that point over and over again And he seems to fixate on the race of characters, particularly where the characters are black and Mm. black filmmaking, things like that. He talks about like his mother dated black people, so he grew up in that area and he went to see a lot of black exploitation films as a result. Jackie Brown being the obvious end result. Um, But he hammers the point home. He seems to be kind of a little bit obsessed with the the race of characters in all the films to a point where you go, this is a little bit weird. But it's really fascinating, you know, he talks about how his films have been inspired by some of these films. What is interesting as well, which I've not kind of seen with somebody who is an active filmmaker, is he's quite critical of other films.
2: And other actors.
4: Are you called Tarantino an actor?
3: I think that's generous. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Um, but it's interesting, you know, so he has a chapter on Brian De Palma films, and he talks about the the ones that he likes, but he's quite critical as De Palma as a filmmaker, and says, you know, quite clearly a lot of these films were just made for money, and these films don't work, and these films, you can see, he's not really interested in what he was doing, so it's, it's a really good read if you want a personal perspective on lots of films, and also a lot of films that I hadn't heard of. A good thing with these sort of books is if you're reading the book, and as you're reading the book, you're making a list of films that you haven't seen that you are now going to track down and watch. Mm. I think that's always a, a sign that it, it's a good book.
3: Interesting balance, though. If there's too much of that, it makes it hard to relate yeah. to as you read the book. But yeah. um, if it, if they get it right and you're able to judge in the context of what you're discussing, whether or not you'll enjoy that other movie, it could yeah. be great.
4: Yeah, there's a lot of books that I read, particularly in drawing films, where it just can descend into a list of films and they talk about a couple of podcasts and there's lots of films you haven't heard about and then at some point you go i'm never going to watch all these but it goes very in depth on the films and what is interesting in them and what doesn't work
3: so it's a fairly unusual choice of films i mean you mentioned taxi driver Paradise Alley's relatively obscure, yeah. sort of around the rocky it, it, time.
4: you kind of a mix. So you've got things like, uh, yeah, you've got Taxi Driver in there. You've got uh, Blowout, the De Palma film. Great film. Yeah. And then you've got things like Rolling Thunder, the 70s exploitation film, which I don't think is particularly well-known. No. Written by Paul Schrader. And then very, very reworked by the director. And Tarantino, having gone through something similar with Natural Born Killers, where he hates the final film, The fact, I think it's generally quite well-liked. He has an interesting perspective on who is the author of a film, between sort of the writer and the director, and how that can change.
0: Is Blur the John Travolta one? Yes. It is, yeah. Yeah, About the sound recorders. Yeah, it's a great film, that.
4: so It's almost exclusively films of the 70s and late 80s, so I'd be interested to see whether there's going to be a follow-up 80s, early 90s. I think that would be interesting.
3: That's kind of more my genre of interest, in terms of where I really enjoyed the movies.
4: I love Taxi Driver. Hardcore is in there, which is an interesting mm. mess of a film. Oh, George Shea Scott. But yeah.
3: My God, it's my daughter. You were talking about misleading titles to films, I wonder yeah. how many people went <laughs> to that and were disappointed. And then there's things like
4: uh there's a chapter on deliverance, uh, the great escape. So when I've got him kinda of, these aren't really my kind of films other than Taxi Driver. Mm. So I was wondering how interested I would be in reading about them, but he has you know something really, really interesting to say about all of them and goes into a lot of cinema history. So when he talks about, the, uh, there's a chapter on Dirty Harry. A great film. But then they talks about Don Siegel, the director, and it was kind of his last great film. So you get an interesting kind of um, segue into his career. Although you get an in-depth analysis of the film, they have also kind of just uses really interesting stopping off points to, to talk about cinema generally.
2: The Empire podcast, we're um, having a recurring discussion about which director earned the decade. And they were on the 90s, and whilst there were other great contenders i think they came to the conclusion that quentin tarantino was the director of the 90s yeah i mainly grew up in the 90s and i did the thing of at university having the pulp fiction poster on the Mm. wall and things like that and i just i thought it was really cool to like quentin tarantino and from a dialogue perspective i think he did change the game on having some of the best parts of the film having people around a table just talking about Mm. random stuff people do that all the time now but i think he kind of changed the bar on that he's taken the martin corsese argument of the marvelization of cinema and talking about how actors aren't stars anymore because you,
4: were you upset about what i said about chris evans
2: chris hemsworth chris hemsworth sorry yeah he said he wasn't a he wasn't a movie star like thor's the star mm-hmm. um and i think didn't he come out and say that's quite disappointing because quentin tarantino is one of his heroes and he's disappointed that he probably won't get to work with him
0: what
3: did
1: you think of Inglorious Bastards?
2: Loved it.
3: But yeah, there was fantastic sequences in I it. I thought mm-hmm. there were
1: two absolutely classic scenes in it, and the rest of it was pretty much boring, indulgent that's dress. That's what I kind of felt, like, mm. the opening scene, you know, with... Um,
0: Christoph Waltz. Yeah, oh, yeah. that's, that's mm. so unbelievably tense. Fantastic filmmaking now. And then stuff happens for two hours.
4: Yeah. what's the scene where they get something wrong like they put the wrong number of fingers up to or the order a drink in yeah. a way that an English person that's would, right, a German yeah. person wouldn't yeah.
2: the, the German three is um, like different fingers to hold up three he gave the game away in the uh, downstairs that's the Cellar. second scene I
1: like yep same mm-hmm. I have that kind of experience of all the Tarantino films I've seen I've not seen all of them but uh, I generally find there's some absolute magic, and then there's some stuff that he could have really used a collaborator mm-hmm. to say, Quentin. Let's focus. Let's cut this shit out. I mean,
3: he did with with Robert Rodriguez
0: quite a bit,
4: and Roger Avery as yeah. well. I think. And so there was a bit of a fallout over how much of pulp fiction each of them
0: wrote. So, how many um, chicken royales out of ten would you give this book?
4: I would rate it on the uh, the Big Lebowski scale. Because obviously Quentin Tarantino likes feet, mm-hmm. and a famous sequence in *The Big Lebowski* reveals a lady's feet, and then one of the toes is subsequently chopped off, leaving it with nine toes. <laughs> so it's a nine out of ten. So <laughs> <Just laughs> Quentin Tarantino goes "Oh, that's a lovely pair of feet, but there you go. There's a bit missing." Excellent, <laughs> thank you. <laughs>
2: That is all for this episode of Nerdfest. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in a few weeks' time. Until then, you can check out our back catalogue of episodes. There's well over 100 for you to enjoy, as well as keep up to date with us on social media. We're at Nerdfest UK. Now, John. Yes? Following a lovely review from Mark last episode, you went to give him his reward, is that right? I
4: did, yes. How did that go? That was lovely. I dressed up as an elf. Oh. <laughs> and we, we we ran around some fields. <laughs>
2: Lovely. So, for anyone who leaves a review for this episode, what do you have in store?
4: I'm going to come along, take you and do whatever you like, and it will be narrated sexually by Ringo Starr. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. Until next time, you've been listening to.
4: A man who's going to stare at Quentin Tarantino's feet and see how he likes it.
3: <laughs> a man who, as you've seen, is always better in a straight role than in a comedy. <laughs>
1: Uh, a man who might miss the next podcast because he's busy milking cows in an alpine cabin.
2: A woman who regrets so much talking about Thomas the Tank Engine's orgasms.
0: <laughs> and a man with a cunning plan. Ooh. Ooh.
2: We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.
0: Chuff chuff. Choo
2: that's,
4: that's just the noise you make every time you <laughs> orgasm <appear>. here. <laughs> I mean, you live about five miles away, I can hear it. Jesus. But only because he pulls me up.
2: <laughs> Get ready. Choo-choo! <laughs> <laughs>
0: Here comes Thomas.
2: (laughs) 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 Blow off some steam.
0: (laughs) So much in there, isn't there?
3: The train's coming.
0: (laughs) Mind the cap. (laughs)